Hello and welcome to the Giddy Carousel of Pop, a podcast all about smash hits, the 1980s pop mag. And usually when you hear our voices saying those words, we're presenting to you an episode of the podcast where we look through an issue of the magazine with a guest. But not this time. Oh, no, 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 no. We, we've just come together. Gavin's here, by the way. Hi, Gav. Hi. Uh, hello, everybody. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not right. just, yeah, I'm not just sat here on my own. So we're just, <laughs> um, to, to keep us, keep us going over the winter months. So we're just popping up to say hello and thank you. And we've got a few recommendations as well before we get back on with the, uh, the real business of delivering a full episode to you, which, uh, we'll have details towards the end of this little natter. But first, I think uh, we owe some people some thank yous, don't we, Gav? We sure do. We've been at the coffee bar at the fun fair. We've had plenty of coffees, haven't we, Si, keeping us warm in these winter months? Yeah, the kiosk is, uh, coffee kiosk at the carousel has been <laughs> doing a roaring trade. It has. So thank you very much to the following lovely people for their contributions, their coffee contributions. David Copper Farm says, uh, just caught up on the May 82 toy issue with Emma Clark. The first issue I ever bought. Largely down to the fantastic toy image on the cover, but also the promise of Adam, Duran and altered images inside. I bought the Changeling album after seeing that toy image. Mistake. <sighs> got, uh, got done there, didn't you, mate? <laughs> <laughs> I'll say that. I've not listened to the album, but yeah, I, just, I, I know some of the singles from it. And uh, yeah. <sighs> anyway, thank you very much for that, David. That's very kind of you. Um, Ricardo Autobahn a frequent buyer of coffees for us. Thank you very much, Ricardo. Much obliged, as always. Said, uh, you deserve two coffees each to stay hydrated after such a lengthy and excellent episode. Uh, He's referring to the last episode that we did of 2022 with Brian and Sarah from Permanent Record Podcast, which was our longest yet, wasn't it, Si? It was, yeah. Getting on for, was it around about two and a half hours? I think it was about two and a half days, actually. Yeah. But... <laughs> I think this is this is seems to be what's happened uh, with the podcast in that um, the the episodes aren't as frequent as they used to be, but they're longer than they used to be. So we're, yeah. we're delivering uh, quality and quantity, uh, I think. Um, yeah. So you know they should sustain you. <laughs> one episode should keep you going. Yeah. A, a couple of months <laughs> until until the next one. Uh, yeah. So that was the episode where we, uh, there was an issue from um, 1986, and Ricardo says, "Also, you're right about Live Aid ruining pop." <laughs> I know. I know. I'm right. If, if you've not listened to that episode yet, and you've never heard Sai have a big rant, then uh, well, that's the episode for you because 1986 brought out the the little Tasmanian devil in Sai. Yeah, I'm not normally a ranty person, but... You're not. He's a very calm man normally, but oof, sigh. By heck, 1986. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, never mind the quality. Feel the width of the last podcast. It was, uh, yeah, very wide and, and wide-ranging. That was a lot of fun. Uh, Lucy Bennett bought us a coffee as well, said thanks for your brilliant podcast. I love it. Well, Lucy, we love you. Thank you very much. Very kind of you. Brian and Sarah, the aforementioned from Permanent Record Podcast, they said, thought we'd send you a few coffees in case you got thirsty while editing the mess we left you with. Hi, Paul is well. Miss chatting with you guys. Ah, oh, bless you. Thank you very much, Brian and Sarah. And finally, but not lastly, <laughs> is that a phrase? I think <laughs> it, it is. is now. Steve, yeah, it is now. Steve Fenton, who said it was worth buying us a coffee to hear mention of the farmer's boys. And he's even in the, in the message 
he put with uh, the coffee donation you know the farmer's boys logo it's a, a nice mix of lowercase and uppercase he's done it all correctly i checked and everything so good attention to detail there steve that's the kind of thing we encourage thank you very much indeed you're a lovely gent you are indeed uh, we've had a couple of new reviews as well and if you fancy leaving us a review you know if, you, you can buy us a coffee if you want to ko-fi.com slash giddy pop pod because uh, those coffees do keep us going and i think they do hot chocolates as well at this time of year they do uh, they do the special christmas festive spiced ones as well i think some uh, rock and roll mouthwash hot chocolate <laughs> Uh, but we have Ooh. had uh, some new reviews in. And if you want to leave us a review on your podcast app of choice, then uh, please do. It seems to be the ones from Apple Podcasts that, that get to us. I don't know if we find the other ones, but leave us a review and hopefully uh, it, it'll get to us. But um, Brokeback Duncan says, uh, bringing back so many memories. Excellent. Uh, he gave it five stars. And uh, another five stars from uh, Lucy. I think that might be the Lucy who bought us a coffee. She says, uh, I utterly love this podcast. I wish there were more episodes. Oh. So, so do we, but we wouldn't have lives if, <laughs> if there were more episodes. So there has to be that yeah. that, uh, that balance there. And um, yeah, and just looking at the reviews and uh, ratings that we've had on Apple Podcasts, 4.9 stars from 39 ratings. Ooh, that's pretty good, isn't it? I think that is, that is that's, that. that's fantastic. So thank you, everyone, who's, who's bothered to either click on the stars or leave us a rating. Yeah. Greatly, greatly appreciated. And also everybody who comments and interacts with us on uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as well. Loads of lovely comments on there and people sending us mm. messages directly. We've met some uh, fantastic people throughout the time that we've been doing the podcast so far. So uh, thank you all and, and Merry Christmas to you. Indeed. I, may I echo those sentiments, Mr. G. Yeah, it's really nice, isn't it? Because otherwise, I mean, we would just be probably chatting about smash hits and pop music quite a lot anyway, but we'd just be doing it to an empty room, wouldn't you? Or just me and you. So the thought yeah. of, oh, someone's just at my door. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'll be back. Hang on. Sound some carol singers. Yeah. <laughs> Bloody Thompson twins coming round. Cap in hand. Singing love on your side. I was like, not today, thank you. <laughs> so we thought while we were here, uh, we'd do something that we don't normally get to do on the podcast, and that's talk about, well, just some of our favourite things, a little roundup of the year, things that we've enjoyed, and uh, we've got a few categories going on here. So um, podcasts, any podcasts that you've enjoyed this year, Gav? Giddy Carousel of Pop, I think, is always worth a listen, Si. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Uh, that's about it. I don't think there's any others worth listening to, really. <laughs> no, I really enjoy, yeah. Hey, I'm just kidding. Brian and Sarah, another mention for them <laughs> and their permanent record podcast. What they do, if you, you haven't heard of them, you should definitely check out their back catalogue. They've got over 100 episodes now. They choose an album from generally from the 80s, uh, they tend to like the kind of synth pop things. So bands like Erasure, Depeche Mode, Pet Shop Boys, Aha, those kind of bands. And they'll give a pretty deep dive into an album over two, three, four episodes, going through the history of it and track by track and breaking it down. And uh, yeah, I always come away with some uh, new, new facts I didn't know and a new perspective on things. So uh, yeah, I've been digging into that a lot lately. C86 show is always good. That's for more of like the indie fans. The title C86 makes it sound like it's just going to be indie pop from the mid 80s in Britain, but it is more wide ranging than that. Interviews, 
kind of tend to be fairly obscure artists from the world of kind of alternative and indie music, but it's a lot wider than just kind of jangle pop. So I'm sure anyone that's listening to the show, if they dig through that, they'll find some interviews that they'd like to listen to. Uh, also really enjoy Oh Brother from Stephen Paul Hanley. It's a podcast about the fall. Um, Paul's been a previous guest on the show, and that's fantastic. They get different guests, sometimes ex-members of the fall or journalists or other kind of celebrities with a small C who are fans of the band just to talk about their experiences with the band. The last episode I listened to was particularly good, and they're always entertaining, but Danny Kelly, ex-music journalist, obviously, and uh, was at the NME for quite a long time in the 80s, uh, and that was a very, very entertaining interview with him. And then one that you recommended to me a little while ago, I've enjoyed very much, uh, My Life in the Mosh of Ghosts, about gigs, uh, in the kind of late 70s, early 80s, from um, a fella from Clock DVA. Uh, and obviously always uh, Back to Now is is a great listen, uh, which obviously you've been a guest on, Si, a year or two back. I was. I think I was on the first or second episode, something like yeah, that. Yeah, you were right in there, weren't you? I, I was right in there. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's on my list as well. So hello, Ian, uh, who, Indeed. Who, uh, who puts together uh, Back to Now. Yeah, uh, if you enjoy uh, chart music from the 80s, well, mostly 80s, and stuff that we talk about on here, then there's a good chance that you'll like Back to Now. Uh, I think the same goes for chart music as well, which is, is, is the daddy. The behemoth. It's the daddy of... Um, <laughs> <laughs> pop music podcasts uh, certainly in, in this country anyway and always always hugely enjoyable very jealous of all those people who got to go to the live show that they did uh, in london a couple of months back our, our buddy tim who's been a guest on on the carousel he went down and thoroughly enjoyed it and got got himself uh, a patch and all sorts of things so so that was nice um i'm the egg pod Hello, Chris. Um, I know he's a, a listener to this podcast, and uh, he did an amazing thing. Uh, so that's a Beatles podcast, if you've not heard it before. He did this amazing thing at the beginning of the year after we got the Get Back documentary. Chris did an episode of his podcast a day to tie in with the studio days that the Beatles were re- working on the, the Get Back project. Hmm. And and so he did essentially a podcast a day throughout January, looking at the documentary and talking about you know, stuff that wasn't in the film as well. Just an absolutely f- phenomenal um, achievement. Um, uh, Chris is a, a lovely fella, and hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll we'll get him on the carousel one of these days. I know he's uh, he's keen to uh, to talk about 1984. <laughs> oh, I think you say 1986, then. that's all right. No, okay. no, no, no. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if it was 1986, it'd be in for a, a rough ride. Uh, another Beatles podcast, Nothing Is Real, with Jason and Stephen. Uh, again, it, that, that's kind of like the, if I'm the egg pod, is the emotional side of the Beatles. Nothing Is Real is kind of like the the factual and, and analytical side of, of looking at the Beatles. Um, Rock on Tours with Gary Kemp and Guy Pratt, who have some amazing guests on there. And also um, The Hustle, John Lamoureux. Um, I mean, he's so prolific. So I can't keep up with the number of podcasts he put out. And they're all they're all quite you know quite in depth and detailed and, and things. But yeah, some fantastic guests on a really good one uh, recently with um, a studio engineer and producer who worked with um, Talk Talk uh, and on the Spirit of Eden album. 
Yeah, I just started listening to that today. Yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah. that was a really, really good episode. So uh, good work, John. And uh, one that you recommended to me, Gav, um, Jim Irvin's You're Not on the List. So Jim Irvin, who used to be in the band Furniture and then went on to write for many, many August uh, music publications over the years. And he has a podcast where he looks at albums that may not have got the success or attention that they deserved back in the day. Uh, he has a couple of guests on, they choose an album each, and have a chat about them. It's as simple as that, and it's a, a very good listen. Okay, so that's podcast kind of wrapped up for now. Um, I thought we should also talk a little bit about any rock and roll or pop a doodle tastic happenings that we've been to over the last year. <laughs> Did I kick off, Si, with my recent one in Birmingham? Go on then. You, you tell us about that. <laughs> again, well, again, it, it's, uh, it links to a previous guest on the podcast. You may remember, if you're, particularly if you're an Ant fan, that we had Marco on around about a year or so ago, talking about, um, the issue that had Adam Ant on the front cover. It's the one we did with Mark Ellen. And we got Marco involved to talk about his memories of that interview that Mark did with the ants in France. And there was a, uh, like a, an ant celebration, if you like, a sort of a tribute event in Birmingham about three or four weeks ago that myself and Lynn went down to. Very entertaining. Uh, they showed the Prince Charming Review film on the, on the big screen in a cinema down there, Digbeth. And then Marco, turned up uh we only found out the day before that marco was coming along so that was a bit of a treat and he was interviewed by john robb um i think it's fair to say that marco had had one or two uh light ales <laughs> a bit of rock and roll mouthwash beforehand uh so uh but it was a yeah it was a, it was a really nice interview with with john and john's a big fan of adam and the ants and uh, yeah they talked about all kinds of stuff. Some of the stuff that we touched on when we spoke to him. Uh, and that, yeah, that was great. And then after that, we all decamped to a pub up the road where there were a couple of Adam tribute, uh, Adam and the Ants tribute bands. There was Ant Trouble and then XX BVD. Uh, sorry. Yeah. XXVBD. 25 years before Dirt Wears White Socks. That stands for. And Ant Trouble were kind of doing more of the hits and the XXBVD. We're doing more of the kind of deep cuts, kind of the punky, kind of Dirt Wears White Socks kind of era tunes and sort of demos that have never been officially released. So during Antrible's set, towards the end, Marco turned up at the gig and um, kind of got right to the front of the stage and it looked like he was wanting to go on and they were like, do you want to come and play? Because apparently they'd asked him beforehand if he wanted to and he'd, he'd politely declined. But by now he was in the rock and roll mood. So, uh, so he <laughs> got up on stage and... Uh, played along to Kings of the Wild Frontier. So that was a real treat because I've never seen Adam and the Ants play together. I've seen Marco play with Adam on the Viva La Rock tour, but I've never seen Marco playing some of the uh, Adam and the Ants stuff. So that was great. It was a, a lovely atmosphere in the room because there's only about 100 of us uh, in that room above the pub witnessing Marco playing along to Kings of the Wild Frontier. So a magical moment. Yeah, so that was that was fun. What about you, Si? What have you been to see? This year, I kind of forget things that I've been to. I go to them and enjoy them, or don't enjoy them sometimes. And then 
few months later, somebody asked me, you been to any gigs lately? I'm like, oh, no, I've not been to, which is a complete lie. I just forget. But um, in the last few months alone, uh, I went to see Roxy Music on their 50th anniversary tour up in Glasgow. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, I've been a lifelong Roxy fan and I found it a hard, a hard gig, to be honest. Brian's voice isn't what it was and you know I mean, he's 77 for goodness sake I mean if I can do half of what he does when I'm 77 then I'll be more than happy but it, it was yeah it, it wasn't quite what I was expecting and I've seen Roxy Music loads of times on their reunion tour about 20 years ago and enjoyed that so much that it was I don't know. Disappointment is the wrong word. There was a sadness there because you got a real sense of, you know, this, this was the uh, the end of the road in a way. But we'll, we'll see if it is or not. So, yeah, I did, did get a little bit sad in that one. Oh. Um, and then another gig where I was moved, but for different reasons. Um, I went to see the bootleg Beatles. Oh, yes. Yeah, which uh, I've never seen them before. I've got uh, mixed feelings about tribute bands, uh, but this was just absolutely fantastic and uh, very easy to suspend your disbelief. And I was just rather overcome. I just wanted to go and sing along and stuff, and instead I was sort of like <laughs> dabbing my eyes all the way through, uh, you know, particularly the, the second half when they're doing the stuff that the Beatles never performed, like Strawberry Fields Forever and things like that, Here Comes the Sun. It's like... You know, they've got a string quartet at one side of the stage and a little uh, little horn section at the other side of the stage. It's like they, they, they could have done this. The Beatles could have done this. They could have carried on. Um, it was amazing. Uh, I'm going to have to go and see them again now that I know what to expect, and hopefully yeah. I, I won't be blubbing all the way through. And then <laughs> one that was probably more relevant to um, to Smash It's and the sort of stuff that we normally talk about, uh, I went to see Billy Idol. Sir William of Idol. Sir William of Idol at the arena in Leeds. He got Toya supporting. Okay. Uh, who played for about half an hour. My God, she wasn't half giving it everything she got. I mean, she came on. Yeah. She was absolutely amazing, just jumping up and down and giving it everything into a oh, good on little, little half-hour set. So, yeah, good on you, Toya. Um, now, it should have been television with the next band that were due to be on, but they pulled out at some point. And um, we got as a replacement, Killing Joke. Oh, yes. <laughs> Which, the most horrible band in the world. Yeah. They were discussed in the uh, last edition uh, of the uh, the Carousel. Uh, I, I don't mind a bit of Killing Joke, but this was... Um, it's not what you'd expect on, essentially, like a, a you know a good time 80s night out where you got, you know, starting off with Toya, finishing off the mm. night with Billy Idol, and then you get Killing Joke coming on in the middle, uh, grinding away, doing their kind of metal type thing yeah. um they did a few songs probably about four songs that that i knew um I, you know, I wouldn't class myself a fan but i've got a few of their albums and stuff but it was uh very strange jazz looked like he was dressed in overalls it looked like he'd just come off a shift at quick fit <laughs> <laughs> so he's in his mechanics overalls right slipped in slipped into his slippers and then come on stage instead. You know, he didn't put his feet up. So he looked like he was stomping around on stage in overalls and slippers. An interesting look, isn't it? <laughs> but there were, uh, I mean, there were lots of old punks in, in, in the crowd and uh, yeah. many of them were down the front for that, punching the air, singing along to yeah. to every word. So so they enjoyed it. <laughs> did, he, uh, did a few people 
let's say they divided the audience and, and quite a few people left the room, the arena, to go out to the bar and stuff. It's all the, you know, complaining about this isn't the sort of thing that we want to hear. But it was an awesome racket that they made. It was, it was good. And then, yeah, Sir Billiam of Idol himself came on and it was like pure rock and roll pantomime. And it, it was, it was brilliant. <laughs> it was the, the sneer and the uh, the fist. The sneer, the fist, the uh, partially getting undressed on stage. Didn't Ooh. take his trousers off, but you know, he kept his uh, perv breeks on. But <laughs> so, oh, he was de- you know taking off a few layers. I think it, it might, may have just layered up a bit too much. Yeah, might have been a bit chilly backstage at the arena there in Leeds, and uh, he got on stage, did a few numbers. Thought, oh, I'm, I'm getting, getting a little bit sweaty now, so just it just stripped down. It's hot in the city, isn't it? Hot in the city, hot in the city of Leeds. <laughs> um, so, uh, he, but he played all the songs you'd want him to play, and yeah. uh, it, it was just really, really good fun. If you're partial to a bit of Billy, uh, I'd recommend going to seeing him. Uh, any any other gigs or or events and stuff that you've been to, Gav? Uh, Mark Holman at Buxton Opera House a little while ago. That was a couple of months back. That was great. I'd never seen him before. Thoroughly enjoyed that sort of very cabaret. And Mark really gives it his all when he's, you know, when he's performing. Great band. A few Bowie songs in there as well. Uh, some soft sell hits, but it wasn't relying just on, uh, you know, the, the well-known songs. They kind of got thrown in there now and again, but it was great. Songs you knew and songs you didn't know, all just seamlessly mixing in to a great big cabaret pop party. Loved it. It was brilliant. I'll definitely see him again. And if you're going to see Boot, next time you go see Bootleg Beatles, let me know because I'd love to go. I've never seen them and I've always thought I should go one day and I missed it this time. So next time I'll, uh, I'll accompany you. We'll take the carousel for a spin together to the Bootleg Beetle land. Yeah. I'll take, <laughs> I'll, I'll take some tissues in case you need to dab your eyes. Okay. It might just be me. I think I'm at that age where I'm just welling up at everything. Well, if you're at that age, I'm a few years ahead of you. I mean, I yeah, I, I cry at most things these days, so I definitely will be crying at that. <laughs> yeah, the Wombles theme sets me off, but there you go. We should move on to our next category of things to discuss, and that's films and TV programs, whatever you want to call them. I'd like to just give mention here to the Pistol series that was on Disney+. Plus. Did you see that, Gav? I didn't. I avoided it just because of the pictures I'd seen beforehand and the clips. I'd seen the trailer and I thought it looked awful. However, I do know... Some people that saw it, and people seem to really enjoy it. Well, like you, I saw the saw the photos, the press photos, and clips of it, and thought, "Oh my god, this is going to be horrendous." But gave it a chance, and absolutely loved it. They captured nineteen uh, seventies Britain really well. It's uh, very much how I remember it. <laughs> I have dim and distant memories <laughs> of those days. Um, and I, I thought they did um, the, the, the story justice and uh, I actually learned some things. Obviously, it's been dramatised for telly, but I learned some... I think it's, the, the basic facts are all correct. And I know John Lydon's kicked off about it, but that's because it wasn't from his perspective you know he was he was brought into the band after they'd already started going so yeah i learned, learned quite a few things it was just a, an enjoyable punk romp uh, and the last couple of episodes actually really sad um but i would i would you know if you were 
thinking, oh, my God, this is going to be rubbish and I'm not going to bother. Mm. Give it a chance. If you don't like it, the episodes aren't very long, but you might just get drawn into it like I did. Well, talking of kind of punk type programs, I something I just found while uh, browsing around Netflix a few months ago is a, a documentary called Punk in London from 1977. It's a German producer that just came over and filmed a load of bands. So the Jammer on there, X-Ray Specs, The Clash, Subway Sect, The Lurkers. Really entertaining. Uh, an hour and a half. Very kind of gritty, grimy film stock and just kind of angry and bored looking people mumbling about politics and <laughs> how shit life is in Britain at that time. Very entertaining. So I'd recommend that. Also, uh, another good documentary from a similar time. Been a lot of punk stuff at the moment, but, uh, basically Johnny Moped, which is a film from 2013 that's on Netflix at the moment about, uh, band that kind of had links with, um, the damned. Uh, kind of around the same kind of time. I think it was, if I remember rightly, Captain Sensible's brother, I think, was in Johnny Moped. Uh, and for a while, it looked like they might become quite big, and, and they didn't, but they were kind of perennial underachievers of the punk scene. But that's a really interesting documentary as well. So, yeah, so there's there's quite a few punk things for you there. I haven't got much pop stuff, actually. <laughs> yeah, well, the thing that I think we've both seen, you went to a special screening of it, and then I... <laughs> I've been to see it twice, the David Bowie film, oh, yeah. Moon Age Daydream. I'm reluctant to call it a documentary because it's it's not really. It's just kind of uh, like a, a, an impressionistic float through David Bowie's head <laughs> more, than, yeah. more than anything. It is, isn't it? It's like you've just overdosed on a, a massive packet of David Bowie cheese and you're dreaming, dreaming it all and it's all just kind of appearing and sounds come in and out and it's... There's some wonderful scenes. I, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It doesn't, as you say, it's not a documentary and it doesn't make sense in any kind of linear way at all. Uh, and I think if you're not a fan of Bowie and you don't know much about it, then it's just going to leave you very, very confused. <laughs> but I think if you are a fan of Bowie, I imagine most, most of us would, would enjoy, I certainly enjoyed it when I came out. I was like, that was amazing. I'd, I'd definitely go and see it again on a big screen. Yeah. Well, I came out of it and I was very confused. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you generally ask, I. Again, you're of that age, aren't you? I am of that age. <laughs> it is my age. <laughs> the age of confusion. Yeah. Uh, I came out of it like that, that looked amazing, but what the heck was it all about? So that's, that's why I had to go and see it again. I saw it uh, at an IMAX screening the first time, which was just incredible. And then the second time, which is, you know, we'll come in a garden cinema screening. And uh, so it wasn't as so much like being uh, enveloped by the film. Uh, so it allowed me to just kind of step back from it a little bit and just go, ah, right, that's that's what's going on there. And I also listened to a few podcasts. I have to give a shout out here to the Album to Album podcast because they had Brett Morgan, the director of the film, on there talking about the film. So that shed some more light on it for me and just helped me understand it um, and where he was coming from a little more. But yeah, uh, an amazing spectacle. And uh, it's, it's on my Christmas list, funnily enough, to get the Blu-ray. Of course it is. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> uh, and then uh, a film that uh, you and I went to see together, Gav, just a, a few yes. weeks ago, uh, a special screening of a documentary uh, about a recording studio in Sheffield um, that was active from 
kind of the, the late sixties, from what I can gather. Yeah, up to, around about then. Yeah, up to sort of the late eighties, and uh, the, hmm. the, the documentary is named after the studio. It's called Studio Electrophonique. And essentially, it's two guys just trying to track down some people who can tell them something about the studio because it was in the back of back of somebody's house in a council estate in Sheffield. And what made it significant is the early lineups of the Human League, so when they were known as the Future, and when ABC were known as Vice Versa, and also when Pulp were known as Pulp, but very very young, all recorded there. And it's something that's kind of been forgotten. I grew up in Sheffield and, you know, I was involved in the music scene and didn't know about it until many years after the, the guy who ran it had, had passed away and stuff. So it begins and they don't really have a, a film. And it, the film just kind of builds itself as, as it goes along. As they find out more, we, we're finding out with them. Yeah. Uh, what, what did you think about it? I absolutely loved it. It's brilliant. I mean, it's the most un-Hollywood film you can ever imagine. And some of it's just shot on an iPad, isn't it? And the bits yeah. with Steve Singleton from ABC, you can see kind of um, electricity sockets behind him and, you know, and the lighting's not great and all that. Oh, and he got his fish tank bubbling away in the and background. <laughs> bubbling away, that's right. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. It's kind of, um, you know, they did a Q&A af- afterwards um, with Martin Ware from Human League and Heaven 17. And they were saying, in a way, that's kind of in keeping with this sort of DIY spirit of, of the studio itself. And I think they're absolutely right. It was a it was a fascinating story, really. It's just a real humanity to it, and it was really warm and just celebratory of this one guy's genius, really, and a sort of extraordinary talent that, that he had. You know, at a time when it was an amazing thing to be able to build a studio like in your house i mean what you know what an incredible um sort of skills that he had and the vision to do it and then the fact that he you know produced all of these bands and you think without those bands being able to go to someone's studio like that it was obviously it was, it was fairly cheap rates and it was I think the sense I got from it was that the studio was a lot less intimidating than if they'd gone to a proper professional studio as well. So they could be a lot more relaxed there. I mean, Martin Ware was talking about they'd be in the middle of doing some song or something, and then uh, the uh, the wife of the the owner of the studio would come out at 6 o'clock and say, right, it's tea time now. We've got to go now, lads. And uh, they'd just have to disappear because tea was ready and that was the end of the session. But what a lovely thing, you know, as a first... Um, first experience of recording studio to just be around someone's house with all the big chintzy armchairs and big swirly carpets so yeah i absolutely loved it i would love to see that again uh if it comes out on dvd i'm buying it for sure i want to go and do a pilgrimage actually and see where the house is now <laughs> we won't give too much away do go and see it if you get the chance there's been some special screenings and that there might be some more and i think they're looking to get it on you know either on telly or a streaming service in the near future. So do keep your eyes peeled for that. It's called Studio Electrophonique. Ty, let me tell you, 2022 has been an exciting year for books. Not just because, I don't know if you know, but I've had a book published this year called We Peaked at Paper and All History of UK Fanzines. Have you really? We'll leave that to one side. (laughs) Yes, I have. We'll leave that to one side for now. (laughs) But there's been some, uh, some fantastic books I believe you've read a uh, previous guest on the podcast, Jude Rogers' book. 
Yeah, well, I've, I've grabbed a, a pile of books that, uh, that I've got this year. Okay. So for Father's Day and uh, birthday and, and, and Christmas as well, uh, I've just been like, yeah, I want that book. Want, but there's been so many really good music books coming out this year. It's been an amazing year, yeah. So, yeah, uh, Jude's book, uh, The Sound of Being Human, like Gav says, a, a fantastic book. Do you, want, do you want to tell us a little bit about that one, Gav? Sure can, yeah. I mean, basically, it's kind of – it's Jude's – Sort of personal, it blends a lot of kind of aspects of things. It, in some ways, it's kind of a scientific look at music, and she talks to the psychologists and scientists about what happens in the brain when when we listen to music. It's also a personal response to music through her life and and through various key events, and just how music sort of interweaves with our sense of self and our memories and all the big events in life you know and if you're a music fan as you probably are if you listen to giddy carousel of pop then you'll definitely find stuff that resonates with you and this i found it incredibly moving and emotional again you were talking about being of a certain age you have to dab your eyes every five minutes kind of, everybody chapter in this book <laughs> i mean blubbing like a little baby but in a, you know in a good way just because i recognize things and um and it made me think of things in my own life and and just the, the absolute power of music you know the spell that it kind of holds us in and just just a beautiful book yeah if you if you haven't read it honestly you won't regret it it's absolutely fantastic one of my all-time favorite books i'll be reading it again in the next year or two i'm sure because there's so much in there it's not a heavy book to read at all it's not you know when i talk a bit, a bit about science in there it's it's a, an understandable level for a thicky like me you know i, <laughs> I can cope with it so you know but there's there's just so many little ideas and, and nuggets in there on every page. So yeah, absolutely recommended. Wonderful book. Yeah, Jude's done a massive playlist as well that goes along with the book. So uh, track that down as well. What's that? What else has been on your reading list this year? I've recently finished uh, a very hear the heft of that book. What's uh, oh, so, a so weighty tome? <laughs> it's, it is a weighty tome. Yeah. It's called Totally Wired, The Rise and Fall of the Music Press by Paul Gorman, published by Thames and Hudson. Really fascinating book. As you can tell from the title, it's basically the history of the music press going back to uh, the Melody Maker. Do you know when the Melody Maker started? Was it in the 1920s? I believe it was, yeah. I think it was 1927 off the top of my head. I may be wrong, but yeah, around that kind of period. Yeah, so it goes through that on both sides of the Atlantic, Obviously, it concentrates mainly on, you know, it tends to be more stuff on the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, etc. But you do get a really interesting history about the music press. One thing that caught my eye, uh, so quite early on, page 36 of what is uh, about a 360-page book, so only about 10% in, he's talking about um, a teen magazine, sort of probably late 50s, called 16 in America. And it really reminded me of Smash Hits, this little bit. As I read it, I was like really sounds very the hits-ish. Um, it says that they brought in someone called Gloria Stavers to be the editor-in-chief. And it says, uh, within months, 16 sales rose to 250,000. Gloria Stavers brought in a vibe and us readers picked up on music people that way, said Harvey Kabernick. I can't quite remember who Harvey Kabernick is at the moment, but never mind. It says her questionnaires were emulated in copycat titles such as Tiger Beat. And Stavers created some lingo. Photographs were pics. Issues were ish, because became cos, favourite, fave. And all this ensured that 16 retained its, retained its innocence. There were no references to drinking, smoking or drugs. 
sex was only hinted at in stories such as our perfect night together that stuff about the you know the lingo really made me think of smashes as i was reading it and also the kind of little euphemisms you know when we, we talk about rock and roll mouthwash and uh being tired and emotional and all that kind of thing you know? so uh, <laughs> i thought that was quite interesting that way back in the mid 50s uh, there was that kind of element and there's obviously also quite a lot about smash hits because it was one of the most successful music papers that there's ever been and there's a little um little section i just wanted to read here from the beginning of smash hits page 203 talking about when nick logan who'd been at the enemy decided to leave uh and he was pitching the idea he said logan had a head full of ideas one was a magazine about country music another about reggae with enemies penny real a third was a Rolling Stone-style intelligent music paper with enemy writer Carl Thalowicz. Is that how you pronounce it? Might I be. Think. Yeah, we'll say that. And cartoonist Tony Bennion called Modern Times. I guess that's kind of what Q was kind of... Yes, that does sound, yeah. Q. You know, Q's kind of in that element, yeah. isn't it? Yet another was a glossy photo-led celebration of chart music featuring the lyrics of hit songs. He pitched these to enemies printer East Midlands Allied Press otherwise known as EMAP, his newly established magazine division boasted Angling Times and Motorcycle Weekly. I threw in the song lyric proposal to round out the ideas and was really surprised that that was the one they took to. It was the opposite of an intense newsprint rock weekly. EMAP suggested the title Disco Fever to capitalise on the popularity of the Bee Gees and John Travolta. Logan, keen to include Elvis Costello, Ian Jury and The Clash, countered with The Pop. They compromised on smash hits. So there you go. There's a, a little nugget. It could have been, instead of us doing this podcast now, we might have been talking about a reggae magazine or a country music magazine instead. I think Smash It's out of all those titles, Disco Fever, The Pop, Smash It's. That's definitely the best one, isn't it? They, they chose the right one there. That's the winner, yeah. So that's Totally Wired for you. A really good read if you're a fan of the music press in England and America. Another book that I've really enjoyed, I've not quite finished it yet, it's Mickey Berenia's Fingers Crossed, How Music Saved Me From Success. Mickey was uh, one of the singers and guitarists with Lush, who were one of my favourite 90s bands, kind of shoegazy, and then went into a bit of more of a poppier direction uh, on 4AD. Brilliant band. Um, I saw Mickey talking to John Robb. Another mention for John Robb at his <laughs> Louder Than Words Festival in Manchester about a month ago. And, uh, yeah, it's great. She was a real pop fan. She mentioned Smash It's a few times in here, and there's a great bit. I've been trying to find for the last few minutes, but it's in there somewhere. can't find it now, but she talks about um, bumping into Tom Bailey, uh, her and a few school friends, and about 82, 83, and then going to uh, hang out with them in the studio just because they're, they're fans of music, and he lets them in and gives them cheese sandwiches and Cuts to them and it's just really nice with them and uh yeah she's absolutely thrilled as you would be at that age you know pop star takes you into the studio brilliant <laughs> uh and yeah it's a it's a great read very personal so the first half is very much about her childhood and she, very unusual uh childhood that she had but absolutely fascinating she writes about it very well and then the second half is more about kind of what was happening with lush but thoroughly enjoying it, can't put it down at the moment. So um, if you like music from that kind of period and you're a fan of Lush, then you definitely got to get that. What, what else has been floating your boat, Si? Well, I'm terrible with books because I, I get get one, I start it, and then I get another one, I start that. So I've got here um, four books that I'm partway through reading and enjoying them all. Uh, this on a slightly different subject. 
Um, Clubland, How the Working Men's Club Shaped Britain uh, by Pete Brown. Um, I mean, there, there is a little bit about music in there and stuff, but it's like a, a, a alternative social history uh, of Britain and just a really, really good read. And it reminds me of growing up in the North in the 70s, uh, some of it very much scenarios and stuff that I recognise in there. Um, I've got here, in perfect harmony, sing-along pop in 70s Britain by Will Hodgkinson. Again, I've I've started this one. I, it, it's, it's going on about finding music in charity shops and things like that, which is a pastime that you and I are very familiar with. Yeah, <laughs> I might have done that once or twice, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, we think about uh, 70s music and what's been covered in the music press since you know think about you know the, the cover stars of mojo uh and it's always you know led zeppelin or neil young or something like that whereas this is this is going about pickety witch and middle of the road and you know the actual music that that was popular um in, in the 70s rather than what was cool i think it's, it's something that hasn't really really been written about not with any sort of in depth or or intelligence or even you know respect for for this sort of thing. So normally this stuff is sneered at, but no, right right up my street that one. Um, got two books here. Uh, let's see. Oh, we peeked at paper by Gavin Hogg. Oh, who be he? And uh, Hamish Ironside, an oral hi- oral history of uh, British scenes. That sounds, that sounds great, so i got to say. That sounds great. Well, you, you can tell us all uh, all about stuff that's happening with that in a sec. And then um, Whatever Happened to the C86 Kids, an indie odyssey by Nigel Tassel, in which, Gavin, you're mentioned. Well, uh, yes. As is the uh, little music social club thing that I run, Glossop Record Club, is mentioned in there. And uh, one of my mates, Paul, who was in there, one of the bands uh, that's featured in there. Uh, and that's that's a, a brilliant book. I mean, it's just... I, I know this sounds like a silly thing to, to say about a book, but it, it, the, the words just kind of leap off the page. It's very very readable. It's not difficult to read. It's just, it just flows. Not at all. Just, yeah. Uh, a really good book. And so, um, yeah, I think... We can probably tell can probably tell the pop kids now that Nige is lined up for a ride on the carousel. Um, all being well, we'll be having a, a chat with him about an issue from 1981 uh, in the next month. It'll be in January, won't it? Recording in January, yes. Yeah, recording in January. So we'll we'll hopefully have that episode out to you uh, in Feb. Um, so looking forward to that and, and having a chat with Nigel. I'm sure he'll tell us a bit more about the book then. And uh, Gav, we peaked at paper. Exciting news in the in the Gavin Hogg book department. Uh, you've got you've got an event coming up, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, obviously the the, the only event we've done live so far was the little thing we did at the uh, community bookshop in Glossop. So I was going to get a tour T-shirt printed with just that date on the back, but I'm going to have to put another date on now because. There's another date. If anyone's down in that London way, just to let you know, hopefully it's not 100% confirmed yet, but it's more than likely that 23rd of February, 2023, you can join myself, um, Rodri Marsden and Sean Pattenden in a little live event at Walthamstow Rock and Roll Book Club. More details will be to follow. You know, I may I may tweet about it or mention it now and again. So if you follow, <laughs> follow me on social media at whole hog on twitter um and you know we might do a few little retweets from the guinea carousel of pop twitter account as well but yeah 23rd of feb if any of you do come along come and say hello and it'd be lovely to to meet you 
I don't know you already. Well, I think uh, yeah, that, that's enough stuff to be getting on with, isn't it? I mean, yeah, yeah I reckon. Yeah. Let us know um, what your favourite things of the year have, have been: uh, books and books, books, books and films and TVs and any, any decent gigs you've been to, any podcasts you've been enjoying, as, as well as the Giddy Carousel of Pop. Obviously, obviously, obviously. Yes. But yeah, always interested to to know what what you lot are into as well. So please do. Let us know. So all that remains is to say thank you to everyone who's ridden the carousel with us this year. And thanks to Tony and all the other We Made This podcast. I'm giving you all a big wave. Uh, Thanks for all your support and for being brilliant. And, of course, thanks to you lot for listening. So, yeah, as I said, thanks for sticking with us. Thanks for riding the carousel. I'm going to give you – you can't see this, but I'm giving you a Tony Hadley fist clench right now. Yeah. How are you going to salute the reader, Cy? Si? Uh, I think I might do a Billy Idol lip sneer. Go on then. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> really, you've been working on that, that haven't been, you? I'm a natural. That's yeah. good. That's right. <laughs> I didn't know you could do that. You blow my mind. <laughs> uh, and uh, well, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy New Year. Yes. Hope you get lots of pop-related things in your Christmas stocking. And we'll see you in 2023 for more rides on the Giddy Carousel of Pop. Bye. Ta-ta. <laughs>